In the world of business, profit is everything. Those that are not profitable are condemned from memory. And the most important business of all is watching anime. Welcome back to the Weekly Anime Performance Review, the show where we review the performance of anime weekly. We are your three high-powered anime business executives. I'm John, your energy conservationist. I'm Chris, and more like Hyoka. And I'm Andrew, and I'm made mad that I'm curious about being made mad. So, uh, in case you can't tell by the title of this episode and... um, the titles we just gave ourselves today, we are doing a special OVA episode on the uh, on the anime series Hyoka from the masterminds at Kyoto Animation. Uh, I do enjoy this one. <laughs> I forgot how we start these things. What is Hyoka? Hyoka tells the story of the classic literature club at Kamiyama High School. Uh, who uh, never really do anything with classic literature. Instead, they solve mysteries, uh, driven by the insatiable curiosity of Eruchi Tanda and the analytical mind of the very stubborn uh, uh, Oroki. <laughs> I forgot his name for a Hotoro. second. Oroki. Hotoro Oroki. Fine. I'll call, I'll call him by his full name. He deserves it. <laughs> uh, the other members of the club are Satoshi Fukabe and... Mayaka Ibara. So it's it's uh, a bit more episodic than some of the stuff we talk about, uh, although it does have three longer arcs where the classic lit club gets involved in solving mysteries around their local community. Uh, so before we get into any spoiler territory or anything, general thoughts, fellas. I really liked this one. I think it has really good... I guess it would be storyboarding for the, uh, for the like, deduction sequences where, like... Mm-hmm. It's not just them staring at each other saying what happens. They have visuals to go along with it that kind of show what's happening. Mm-hmm. Even then, I do want to put a note while we're kind of talking about this. When they do talk around to each other and stuff, they often change at the locations. So even mm-hmm. if they're continuing a conversation, it's in several different places just to change up the background. And also, like, it sometimes plays around with interesting angles. Even So even if it's just two characters talking, it's framed in a more interesting way. Uh, like, there's a scene in the second arc where uh, Oraki is talking to Airisu, and, like, the camera's, like, looking up from the floor at, like, the bottom of their chins. Which you never see framing like that. It's really interesting. And this is another excellent dub. A big dub for the dubbing community, if you will. <laughs> I actually enjoyed this as well. I think they did a good job at making mysteries that, looking back, you could have made the same deductions, but you didn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think they did a good job on that. And we didn't mention this, but this is almost also a romance uh, between Oriki and Chitanda. And so it's really interesting how Chitanda's curiosity drives Oriki to solve all these mysteries. Yeah. Like, normally, Oroki's whole thing is that, like, he never wants to do anything. Uh, he basically is like, I have a finite amount of energy, and I'm not spending it on bullshit. Uh, 
and then a person come to him, comes into his life that makes him think, you know what? Maybe I will do some stuff that's not strictly unnecessary because I want to. And so I just really enjoyed that and thought it was a fun dynamic. There was there was some fun like visual metaphor with it too. Like uh, in the first episode, uh, <laughs> you know, the first time that she says, uh, "I have to know" to him, like there's like the visual of like her hair like growing out longer and like ensnaring him and like covering the whole room in these flowers. You know, it's stuff like that that's really cool. Yeah, so they did that a lot at the beginning and then kind of dropped it off near the end. They they might have devoted more of that kind of the Sakuga budget to like, you know, when they're talking and like they're doing like mm-hmm. a cartoon of what what their scenario they're presenting is. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, like that's fine. I just yeah. thought it was weird how they did it a co- did similar things a couple of times at the beginning and then stopped. As I will say whenever we do one of these, this is a Kyoto animation series. <laughs> Uh, so it has production values. Uh, it, it, uh, it certainly kind of has, it certainly has like the, the, uh, KyoAni character design thing going on. Uh, but I, I like the character designs a lot. Uh, they're very endearing, I think. Mm-hmm. There were some funny music choices to me. This, this show, in addition to having an original score, Makes use of some classical pieces with a fair bit of regularity, including one that I can't remember the title of, but I associate with weddings. The cello suite one? Is that what it is? Yeah, I think it's that one, yeah. And while we're on the subject of music, the, um... Like, the song that they would play whenever the deductions were happening was... I thought that was a lot of fun, because it had kind of, like, the spy thriller kind of feel to it. Yeah, it's weird how I feel like the music made it feel a lot more ominous, almost, than most of the time it was. Yeah, this is this is a pretty low stakes series for the most part, you know, and that that makes it that makes it. I think it makes it a little better, just because like you know, if these if these four high school kids with no training were just like out like busting billionaires and solving murders, would be like okay, but they're just like solving little issues around their school, really. Yeah, like, their three main stories are about trying to figure out what happened, like, 40 years ago, 45 years ago or something. Mm -hmm. Trying to figure out what the ending of a movie should be. And there's a series of petty thefts that are happening at their culture fair that they try and figure out. Like, that's not that big. Like, those stakes are relatively low to some anime that we've watched. Mm -hmm. But I think that makes it kind of nice. You know, it's not like... You know, you you can relax a little bit because everything's probably going to be okay. Yeah, like it's not like murder mystery. Mm-hmm. Like the first three episodes are just kind of about school rumors and like mysteries, like the stuff from Hanako-san from a few seasons ago. Oh, that was a good show. <laughs> Except yeah. it's not supernatural. Like they even they even had like a, they even told a ghost story and called it like one of the legends of Kamiyama High. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, it's just the girl taking a nap. <laughs> I watched but, the, like, the first three episodes of this show before I did for the podcast. Uh, my brother just like... We, we sometimes will just like watch the first couple episodes of a show that either of us wants to show the other. And that was one of the ones for me. And I finally got around to it by making you guys watch it with me. I think one of the parts where this show sets itself apart from others, especially in the mystery genre, is that 
every almost every mystery has some sort of storyboard to it in the middle of when they're explaining stuff. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, everyone is in a different style. I thought a really interesting one was the episode where it was like an announcement comes on over the PA system, mm-hmm. and it's just and it's just Oriki and, Ch- and Chitanda sitting in the room like theorizing about what it could mean the whole episode and it's all like in diagrams and everything i think that was just like oraki trying to prove that you can make a story out of any scrap of information mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be true he's just lucky but then yeah he was right <laughs> it does turn out to be true i did i also liked the uh the jacket he started wearing at the end of the show yeah when it got to winter the coat mm-hmm. yeah Made him look like Columbo. Uh, anyway, the, yeah, obviously this show has really excellent production values, and like, it, it's it's really interesting too that like, there's always something in motion. Like you know, even in like wide shots of like a hallway or something, there'll be like, you know, kids in the background are animated. You know, they're walking and having a mm-hmm. conversation or something. Uh, like, there's hardly ever like a completely still frame for very long compared to a lot of anime. Yeah. Like in the culture festival, whenever they're talking in the hallways, there's normally a kid walking past every couple of mm-hmm. seconds mm-hmm. or a couple of lines. Because yeah, that is culture festival, it's crowded. There wouldn't just not be anyone. Right, exactly. But most anime don't do that. See, so yeah, I think it's really, really cool to see it uh, all play out this way. It's it's very well done in terms of its production. Uh, the first big arc in the story of Hyoka is uh, the <clears throat> is the classic lit club re- after its sort of rechristening, uh, investigating the origins of their club, investigating where they came from, uh, why their anthology is called Hyoka, and what happened to Chitanda's uncle uh, 45 years ago when he was involved with the classic lit club. Um, it shouldn't be mentioned. Hyoka means ice cream. Yeah, I didn't know that. I, I thought they just called it ice cream in like Japanese pronunciation English, but I I don't know. I guess I don't live in Japan. But it's a really interesting arc. I that was mm-hmm. probably my favorite arc actually. Uh just cuz I'm like kind of a sucker for like history and archival research and things like that. Yeah. So that kind of mystery story where it's like, you know, going through archives and documents and stuff to try and find an answer is really interesting to me. More so than like your who done it's or whatever. And I thought it was pretty interesting how they went through the, um, like the episode when they'd all done their own research mm-hmm. and were presenting it to each other, and how mm-hmm. they kind of went through their theories and then talked about why that couldn't necessarily be the case. Right, of things that would disprove these theories. Yeah. Because while Orki is like the main deducer in all of this, Mm-hmm. It's not like anyone else isn't. It's not like the rest of the club is dumb. Yeah, they're all relatively smart and can follow along these deductions that he makes. Mm-hmm. Like they all kind of have their <laughs> own niche that they fill in the group. With um, Oraki is the one who deduces everything. Uh, Satoshi is like a database, so where. He's not good at making connections, but he has a ton of information inside of him. Uh, Chitanda is just really good at, like, 
she has really good senses, basically, and so she can mm-hmm. notice details that other people might not, like smells or sounds. Yeah, Oriki jokingly is like, is she a wild animal sometimes? <laughs> yeah. And then Mayaka existed. Yeah. Mayaka's I, there, too. I feel like Mayaka was more there to rein in Oriki, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because everyone else is kind of, like, friendly towards him, whereas she is the one who kind of pushes back on some of his ideas. And part of, I think, her dynamic a bit is that she's a bit more of, like, a normal person comparatively to where, like, she's almost like the straight man yeah. in a comedy type of thing. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. So, yeah, their, their dynamics together are really interesting, and I think, like, any two of them work well together. Uh, yeah. Which is, you know, it's it's a sign that you have good characters and you can just, like, t- switch them around and and pair them up and, like, have them in groups any which way. And they always, like, feel believable and uh, you understand their relations with one another. I did think it was funny how Tomoe is Uruki's sister. And she's mostly in it through, like, phone calls or letters that she writes to him because she vacations mm-hmm. everywhere. But then when she does finally come back home, you never see her face. Like, you see yeah. the back of her head or her chin down. Like a, a parent mm-hmm. in Peanuts or something like that. Uh, but yeah, I, I love... This is probably... The first arc is probably my favorite. Just because I find, like, all the archival stuff really interesting. The stuff about, like, the the milieu at the time when uh, Sekitani was in, was in high school is really neat. Because, like, the 60s were, you know, everybody was protesting everywhere. It wasn't just, like, an American thing. Yeah. So I thought that was all really cool. Do you know anything about, like, the general climate in the 60s or not? Uh, Not much. I don't really know much, like, post-war Japanese history. Okay. Uh, But there certainly was a very active student movement in Japan at the time. Like... The uh, the JCP used to be one of the strongest in a non-communist country, uh, and a lot of it was students. Uh, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, there were a lot of people that, you know, you, you read a lot of biographies of, like, you know, random Japanese people that lived at that time. And they're like, oh, he was a member of the JCP for a while. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Japanese Communist Party, in case I didn't make that obvious. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know that much about post-war Japanese history. Probably a bit of a blind spot, honestly. Uh, so the second arc, uh, and it's funny because like all three of the major arcs have to do in some way with the cultural festival. Because mm-hmm. uh, like even though it's the start of the year, they they already know what they have to do for the cultural festival. I mean, because the classic lit pub always does a. Like, they always do the same thing, so they already know what they need to do. And it's a school with, like... A, a school like that's a, famous for its clubs. Yeah, so they're the clubs are probably always thinking about the culture festival. Uh, the second arc concerns them helping another of the classes at their school figure out what the ending of their class's uh, cultural project is. They made a mystery film, and their goal is to... Basically, they don't have the script finished. They don't have a finished copy. And they need help 
from the classic lit coven deducing what the ending was supposed to be. And you may be like, oh, this is unreasonable. But the problem is the script writer felt ill and can't mm. write anything else. Yeah. And you may think there's some holes in the story, and that's fine. Because there are. Because that's part of the mystery. And I'm not being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, there's 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 a lot going on in the start, because there's the mystery of what the story was supposed to be, and the mystery of why they got the classic lit club to help and all this st- stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess this is really the closest this show comes to having a like a real villain, I guess. Unless you count the quote villain end quote of the third arc. I wouldn't call this a villain. I would call this an antagonist. Yeah. And I know they're similar, but they're not the same thing. Yeah, I think villains are usually antagonists, but not all antagonists are villains. Absolutely. Right. I I wouldn't even say antagonist, honestly. It's more of like a deceiver, like I'd say that's an antagonist. Uh, like I, I think guess. an antagonist is just someone working a someone obstructing the protagonists and working against them. But she's not working as she wants them to succeed. You know what I mean? Like, it's weird. Um, I guess we might as well just say it. So throughout this, they watch the film and then they interview different people who worked on it to try and figure out who was supposed to die because no one was actually told who's the killer and whatever. Mm-hmm. Not who's who is supposed to be the killer. And so they eventually figure out, oh, we think it's the cameraman was actually a seventh character that they casted for. And it makes sense, makes a good ending, blah, blah, blah. But then Orkey's like, each one of the different members brings up a point of how this doesn't quite fit. Um, because there's this rope that they never figured out how to use. Um, I know is like, this doesn't seem like something that Hongo would have written. I forget what the third thing was. Uh, it was a trick ending, and uh, she used right. Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes, Holmes, and they never used trick endings in Holmes. Right. Or tri- trick. Narrative tricks. Yeah, like, uh, you could deduce it all from the beginning. I've actually never read a Sherlock Holmes story. I've read a couple. Yeah, they're okay. Oh, yeah. Um, but all that to say, what actually happened is that Hongo didn't want anyone to die in the original version. And Irisu, who called them in on this, knew that and used her falling ill as an excuse that Hongo was willing to go along with to call in other people to figure out who should be the murderer. Because Hongo didn't want anyone to die, didn't want anyone to be the murderer and wanted the scenario to like have a happy ending of sorts the antagonist is irisu who's kind of misleading them on why they're doing it but it's hard to say that she's not and i really i really liked how this case ended like the whole the whole thing with the rope felt very ace attorney to me where like you have a you get an answer that you're like oh yes this is what happened. And then the prosecutor comes in with like a piece of evidence that you'd forgotten about and was like, okay, then how does this fit in? And it just kind of breaks apart the whole theory. 
Mm -hmm. And they did that not once, but three different times. And each one of the side, I I say side characters, their main characters, had a different take on why it wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was interesting. Yes, very much. I, I... I, I I liked the second arc I ride as well, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I ah man, the first one just so good. I thought I thought a lot of the acting in the student film was really hilarious. Yeah, like this like the scream when they find the body. Uh... And I will say I think I also did like how each one of the characters kind of changed up the murder a bit because like oh we need more blood or isn't this like a horror movie pretty much and yeah. They each had a different take on it, and none of them were. You were like, "This isn't. Why are you doing this?" But thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. And I like how, like, the resolution to this case was Oraki realizing that he doesn't really take in how other people feel when he's making his deductions, and it kind of shows why he needs the group dynamic to solve mm-hmm. cases because he ends up coming up with this theory on his own and he doesn't really talk it through with anyone. Almost like he needs a sort of rubber ducky backboard to bounce his ideas off of to not only shoot him down to remember things that he's forgotten, but also to be like, that doesn't make sense. Nobody would do that or this person wouldn't do that type of thing. I think it's funny that they were using how the film was shot as like a clue as to who did it. Like they intentionally filmed it the way they did and it wasn't just a bunch of amateurs who had no idea that what they were doing filming like they glance at the camera like that's a like that's a seventh person but it's probably just they're not exper- they're not professional actors and they just glance at the camera from time to time right or like right. how the camera it all is shot from roughly the same area of like the same perspective and stuff and it's yeah and part of that is also, though, that um, Hongo was very specific in some of their directions. Yeah. And so they did end up getting a copy of the script, so it wouldn't have mattered. But, like, mm-hmm. that would be something that Hongo would have thought of and would have been like, hey, make sure to do this, I feel like. Well, also, scripts aren't usually written with shooting directions in mind. Like, Right, that's what a storyboard is for. Yeah. A storyboard or a shooting script or something. Uh, the last arc concerns the actual, uh, the actual factual uh, Kamiyama High Cultural Festival, the Kanyasai for short. The uh, the classic lit club has ordered way too many copies of their anthology, and they're worried about being able to sell them all. Uh, Mayaka has a lot of drama going on in the manga club. They do a cooking contest, but the real Focus of the arc is a mysterious thief going around and stealing items from different clubs and leaving calling cards with the name Jumonji or Jumoji, depending on how you read it. Uh, so uh, they use the the attempt to catch the thief as a way to promote Hyoka to the to the cultural festival. And this this isn't really that important, but it's just something I wanted to point out because it was interesting. Uh, like the president of the manga club that uh, Mayaka kept having like debates with was cosplaying as a different character from an SNK game each day. Uh, like the first day she was uh, what's her, what's that 
Nakaruru from Samurai Showdown. The second day she was King from King of Fighters, and the third day she was Mai from King of Fighters. Yeah, I, I think this one was my favorite arc. Just be, just because there was so much going on outside of the mystery, and like you kind of got to see ev- everyone interacting semi-normally. Like, I like Oreki was just, like, sitting in the room for a lot of this arc and, like, kept getting mm-hmm. things traded to him. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, he got the bag of flour that uh, uh, won his team the cooking contest. It got to the point that he was just asking people for stuff when he <laughs> gave them. He was like, it's the, it's the trade sequence. You have to give me something. Yeah. And he became self-aware of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was really funny. And then, like... Mm-hmm. His sister somehow had a copy of A Corpse in the Evening. Is that it? I think so. Yeah. Uh, which is the manga that finally gave him the last hint he needed to solve the Jimoji case. Yeah. Well, isn't his sister, like, a? wouldn't she have just graduated or was she a bit older? Uh, she graduated two years ago, I think. Okay. But wasn't it published last year? Yeah. I mean, she still could have gone back for it. I guess she could have. Because uh, we don't. She could have returned for the cultural festival after the, the year after she graduated. Or she just found it somewhere. I mean, she's a mysterious person. I also thought it was kind of funny. Like, I feel like this would make a lot more sense if I knew Japanese watching it because they'd be like, oh, it's going in alphabetical order when it would go from like acapella to gardening to cooking <laughs> a japanese alphabetical order yeah <laughs> and they stole something that matched the letter yeah but it was japanese letters so it's like oh they stole a ladle from the cooking club it <laughs> matches and i'm like uh yeah i'm surprised they didn't try and make it work well i mean they could have i feel like we we you know i, I know we like make fun of the way that translation yeah. notes used to be in like fan subs and stuff but some translation notes would have been nice. I think it also... They did that kind of when they were listing out the clubs that had just that had gotten robbed when they'd just come up with the ABC theory. Right. But then the problem is they were talking so fast that like, you couldn't have time to read the notes because they were... I just uh, paused it. Yeah, that's fair. Something also I want to mention about the alphabet is that this whole arc is somewhat based off the ABC murders, I think is what it was called, by Agatha Christie. Mm -hmm. They said in this show that the murders were done because the killer wanted to. False. And the kills were done because, like, they killed someone with the initials AA in a town starting with A. And then with BB and so on. And I think it was, like, EE and somewhere with E or something, but there was a specific person they wanted to kill. So they created the serial killer system to kill that specific person. And so that way, when they got to like G or H and they're like, oh, this is too dangerous, I can stop. They've already killed the person they want to. So it gives each person, it gives them an alibi because they're not a suspect by the time they get to EE because like, oh, it's a serial killer. We don't need to know who was close to this person. I think when they said for no reason it was because there was no reason it had to be specifically abc because like he could just create that pattern and then 
do any other type of thing. Right, but I feel like they made it sound like he was a serial killer just killing people for fun. Yeah. And that's not true. But that does translate kind of to how the mystery is solved, is that Mm -hmm. there's a specific non-theft that took place that was important, that was the whole point of it, pretty much. And he hadn't even read the source material, so he didn't even get it. Yes, but in the closing ceremony, he looked back and was like, good job, or something like that. Like, I don't know if that was just general or... I think that was just kind of, he knew that he was doing the hijinks, but he didn't put together that it was a message for him. Because the whole thing was that the team behind A Corpse by Midnight, which was a really popular uh, doujin that they'd sold the year before, was uh, they were going to make a sequel this year, but they ended up not because the artist just didn't want to draw another manga. And so the the guy who worked on the backgrounds for it and like he was mad about that so he made a whole message for him like hey we didn't even try and he realized that he didn't get the message because he didn't even read the script that the writer had come up with right yeah and the guy who did it was like a background artist and he was upset that all this talent was wasted on someone who didn't even care to try because they did a good job, apparently, um, drawing. Yeah, by all accounts, A Corpse in Evening is really good. And that kind of mirrors Oraki's arc of how he is really good at solving cases and is really smart, but he doesn't really want to apply himself. And so he just he's just kind of wasting his talent, or at least has been. Yeah, well, that's kind of a theme for um Fukube and Maika as well throughout this is that um Satoshi's trying to catch this criminal but he's not able to but he's kind of he's upset because he can't apply himself and beat Oriki so to speak and he's worse than him and Oriki's not even trying yeah and then Maika has something with. Oh, I don't know if I actually brought her name down. No. Um, the anime, the manga club, of how there's someone that was friends with the person who wrote Corpse by Midnight, and she's like, I, I'm jealous because her whole thing is that she didn't want to admit that she made a good manga, so she didn't read it. Mm-hmm. And then Maika feels like she's even worse than that. And she's like, how am I supposed to get that good? And then Chitanda also was trying to... Chitanda's there. <laughs> yeah. Well, she was trying to like influence people to mm-hmm. sell copies of their Hyoka for them. Yeah. And she realized that this isn't her. Mm-hmm. That she, she should be more truthful to herself and stuff. Which I thought yeah. that was good. And that kind of plays into the finale as well. Basically, the last five episodes are a bunch of episodic cases, mainly featuring uh, Oraki and Chitanda. And in the finale, it ends with uh, Chitanda kind of talking about how she wants to learn how to like make 
food better because she's a she's the heiress of like a food manufacturing company or something like that. I think they're farmers. Yeah, farmers. I mean, farmers manufacture food. Yeah, fair enough. And so she wants to learn how to do farming better so she can make the business better. And because she realizes it, like her options are either that or manage the people who will be able to. And she doesn't think she can do that part well because of the recent events. And we get a alternate universe where Oroki kind of thinks about what if he said, I could do that for you. Yeah. But he doesn't. I mean, we don't see him do it. True. But it's it is heavily implied that they're going to get together or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Like if they aren't already together, they are going to be soon. Mhm. Because I think it's heavily implied that Mayaka and uh Satoshi get together. I don't know if I agree with that. Oh, so Mayaka likes Satoshi and Satoshi likes Mayaka, but Satoshi doesn't want to become focused and fixated on anything because he realized that was a bad aspect of himself of like, he'd be super competitive and all this stuff. And he doesn't know how he can reconcile that part of him of not wanting to focus on anything where he becomes like obsessed with it and wanting to be obsessed with Maika. And so he turns her down. Last we knew. I didn't think he had, we knew whether or not he turned her down. Well, I guess. I feel like the way Mayaka was talking in the finale about it, uh, because I think Oraki asks her about it, and it sounds like there's something going on there beyond just he just turned her down. Yeah. I think they will get together in the end, though. Yeah. I believe it. I Honestly, I believe that mostly based on the second ED. Yeah. Which, can I say, I love the second ED. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't a huge fan of the first OP and EDs, but Damn. I really liked the second ones. I, I agree. The first ED was just kind of weird to me. Yeah. Mm. It was, like, supposed to make the girls lying on, like, a star bed looks sexy and stuff but it's like you're it, it kind of made them school. look kind of infantile yeah yeah infantile and sexy well, yeah ew, bad combo the second one was like a sherlock holmes trying to find mm-hmm. the boys as moriarty and um some other person i don't know i'm I... trying to find this sh- i'm trying to find a gif of the shot where like where they both look at each other in shock after the boys get <laughs> away yeah. I, I've, I haven't managed to find it without a caption already on it, because I want to caption it something. I feel like they're probably supposed to be more like like um, Lupin and more Phantom Thieves than Moriarty. Um, oh, we should mention what Hyoka actually means. We never did that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was the, con- that was the conclusion of the first arc. Um, they realized that Hyoka, of course, means ice cream. Uh... But it's actually an English pun. It's supposed to be ice cream. Like, you know, like you, you scream ice cream. We all scream for ice cream. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> and that was uh, that was June Sekitani basically like saying how he really felt about being expelled over basically being scapegoated for all the student activism. Right. Because I don't remember exactly what the quote was, but it's something like if I can't even scream, 
then I'm surely yeah. defeated or something like that. Yeah. Know? And that was what he said to like a five-year-old Jitanda that made her cry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, made her cry and forget about what he said to make her cry. <laughs> I mean, like telling a five-year-old someday the world's gonna beat you so beat you down so badly you can't even scream. I would be traumatized by that at five years old, probably. That's way different than what we normally tell kids that age. <laughs> at least in this country, I don't know how it is in Japan. Um, another detail is that um, at the end of each episode, like for each book, they are there's like a subtitle that appears at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fir- all of them except for the Kanyasai uh, arc are the names of classic mystery novels because like the niece of time is the daughter of time by Josephine Tay. Uh, why didn't she ask Ebba is why they didn't ask Evans by Agatha Christie and Little Birds Remember is Elephants Can Remember by Agatha Christie. Anyway. Uh, this has been our episode on Hyoka. I definitely highly recommend this one. Uh, it's a great little watch, you know. It's it's pretty comfy and relaxing, I think. It's technically 23 episodes? Technically 23, because one of them is numbered 11 and a half. I, I think it I came know. out with, like, the Blu-ray and was an OVA that took yeah, place. Yeah, but then. it takes place in the middle of the show or something. Yeah. Well, because they order them by when they chronologically take place, which is what they should do, but that means... Yeah. There's a couple of one-shots in between each of the arcs. Um, anyway, highly recommend this one. Give it a watch if you're interested. Uh, anyway, I believe that'll do it for us, unless any either of you guys have any other closing thoughts. On Hyoka, no. No. Okay. So, uh, now that this episode is in the, in the can, uh, it's time to talk about what show we'll be watching for our OVA next month, for the month of September. Uh, it is not any of our birth months, so that means that you guys get to do a good old-fashioned poll about it. So your three choices for the poll this time are going to be The Devil is a Part-Timer, Erased, or Chihaya Furu Season 1. Uh, so you'll, you'll be presented that list of options on our Twitter page. You can, uh, you can find us on Twitter, at WapperCast, where we post updates and occasional funnies about our show. And that'll do it for us for this week. Uh, You can catch our next regular episode on August 18th. Uh, Anyway, I have been John, your energy conservationist. I've been Chris, and more like Yoka. And I've been Andrew, and I'm a sunflower. Beep boop. Ravioli.